I'm Brett Fuller, and this is your 15. Today we're going to answer the question, how do I receive salvation? Well, first of all, we need to answer the question from what do you want to be saved? We have a lot of things that we need help in. Nobody is self-sufficient on the planet. So from time to time, we need people to assist us. If you are poor, you need a job. So you need somebody to save you from your poverty by giving you employ. If you're not feeling well, you need a doctor to help you get over your malady. You need salvation from your sickness. If you're, 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 you're not as educated as you ought to be, then you need somebody to grant you the privilege of going to school so you can get, get a little bit up in your mind, get intellectually stimulated. You need sa salvation from your ignorance. But those things are temporary. Those are circumstantial moments that really don't have much to do with the eternity that we dwell in. We're talking about here, what does it mean to receive the kind of salvation that is going to never end? In order for us to appreciate what that means, we first need to understand that we need salvation. If you don't know you need something, you probably won't desire it. And we are we are a people that are in desperate need of life because we have sinned. And sin, sin it says in Romans chapter 6, sin gives us the wages or we earn death as a result of it. Now, sin is one of those religious words that really is a synonym for what we would commonly call a crime in society. It's just hap it just happens to be that which is done spiritually. We broke a law in, in God's economy. And, and therefore, we are considered lawbreakers. As a result of breaking that law, it says we have fallen short in Romans 3.23 of the glory of God. And as a result of that, we can't ever attain to the status which we should have, which is innocent. Even though you, have, you, may, you may do some wonderful things to try to make up for all the bad you've done, it still doesn't wipe out the bad you've done. It's like a guy who went and knocked off his 7-Eleven and, and, and came to the judge and said, now, judge, I know I did wrong. I, I blew it. I, I got you. But I want you to know I delivered turkeys to a bunch of orphans at Thanksgiving and, and I sent some, some money at Christmas so some kids could have a wonderful time at, at Christmas in India. And, and I went to the old folks home and I really sat down with people and played Pinochle and Monopoly and Scrabble. Oh, I want you to know I've done some really good. Could you let me off this charge, please? I think all of us would look at the judge and, and say, your responsibility is to make sure you uphold the law, not to let people off. Yet, we want God to look at our life and say, Lord, I, I know I've done some things wrong, but look at all the good I've done. And somehow, want God to just kind of wink, wink, and let us off all the bad we've done. There's nothing that ever says, because you've done good, therefore you are released from your bad. We still must pay for the crimes we committed, yet God did not want us to pay. Again, the wages of sin of our criminal activity in the kingdom is death. He didn't want us to die. So he said, I'm going to send my son. Jesus came, lived a perfect life. They killed him for it, made him die. Yet, because he had done nothing worthy of death, death could not hold him. Therefore, he became the substitutionary penalty for our death. And as a result, he took our death and gave us his life. We now can live forever. But if you don't know you need that kind of salvation from death, then you won't know that you need Jesus. But you, you have got to know now as a result of what I just told you 
that you need more than just circumstantial salvation to get you out of the ditch you dug in your, in your life, whether it be your finances, your health, whether it be your education. You need more than that. You need salvation from death, salvation into eternal life. You have to recognize your need and that nothing you can do to, can fix the situation you are in. The only one who can fix it is Jesus Christ. Recognize that you need a savior. Secondly, you need to repent. Once you understand you need help, you, you, you got to change your mind. Now, the term repentance in the Greek is the term metanoia, and it means to change. It means to, if you're going one direction, you decide to go another. Make a 180. If you're thinking one thing, you decide to think another. You no longer live the way you were living. You no longer think the way you were thinking. Your heart motivations change. Repentance is change of life. Now, repentance has really gotten a bad rap, uh, primarily because some very zealous preachers from time to time who are passionate about seeing people one to Jesus can add a little bit more conviction to their words than maybe is necessary and pointing their bony finger in the camera can say, repent or perish. And it seems as if they're being mean, but they're not. And therefore, the, the term repentance kind of is couched in anger, but it is really a term of privilege. I mean, the person who is going the wrong direction and, and doesn't have any idea that the bridge is out and they're a quarter of a mile from going over the cliff, they are really happy that somebody has put up signs saying, bridge out, make a U-turn. And if they are privileged enough to obey, then they don't go over the cliff. They are happy. Thank God they say that somebody told me because I was going 65 the wrong way and I couldn't have stopped. God is granting you the privilege of not going over the cliff. Repentance is a wonderful idea. You're going the wrong way. I was going the wrong way. And God said, here, I'm going to give you another way to go so you don't die. Repentance allows us the privilege of saying, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm going to live this way. And repentance is so important in the Christian life because some people will come down front in a church service or listen to somebody on a television screen or, or hear a podcast and they'll do the, the, the asking for forgiveness thing, but they will forget the repentance thing. And when they ask for forgiveness, what they're doing is releasing their guilt, feeling better about no longer having to, to feel bad about what they did or suffer the penalty for what they did. But because they did not repent, they go back to the same activity for which they need to ask forgiveness all over again. And so the cycle looks something like this. Do something bad on Saturday night. Come to church on Sunday. God, forgive me. I'm sorry, please. Ah, cries, weep, holler, ask him to come and sit on the throne of your heart, all that stuff. Because you didn't repent, you go back Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You feel the downslide back Saturday. You're out doing the same stuff for which you asked for forgiveness on Sunday. And you're back in this revolving door out of which you cannot find an exit. Repentance gives us the exit sign. You can get out of this. Turn, turn your life around so you don't do that anymore. Thirdly, it's requesting for forgiveness. So it's first, understanding what your need is, recognizing you need a Savior. Secondly, it's asking for, for, for the, the grace to repent and turn your life around. Thirdly, it's saying, Lord, I request forgiveness for everything I've done wrong. And why do you ask for forgiveness after you have grant, been granted the grace to repent and received it? The reason is this. 
forgiveness is tied to repentance and that Jesus said in Luke chapter 24 that the gospel that he wanted preached was to be preached to all nations beginning from Jerusalem and this gospel was this. It's a, it's, it's a repentance that, that is for the forgiveness of sins. It's not just a, a gospel that says, Lord, please forgive me. It's the gospel that says, I repent so I can be forgiven. And that makes sense to everybody. I mean, if a person comes up to you, comes up to you, and, 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 and first thing they do is slap you on the face. You got to look at what, what's wrong with you and say, oh, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Please forgive me. And, you know, you're thinking twice about their motives and all that kind of stuff. But if you're a good Christian, you kind of say, OK, I'm going to forgive you. But I don't know about you. Next day they come up to you and you've forgiven them. And then oh, pow, they hit you again. You're thinking, hey, 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 hey. And then they say, oh, oh, please forgive me. I'm sorry. Instinctively, you know something's wrong. And they aren't really serious about asking for forgiveness. Because if I, if I greet them tomorrow, they'll probably do the same thing. Thus, internally, I mean, just instinctively, don't we know that your forgiveness for that person ought to be tied to the repentance? That if they want restoration and relationship to you, which is what forgiveness is, that they are going to have to change their action or else you're going to have to keep them at arm's length. All analogies limp and maybe this one probably needs crutches and is in a wheelchair. But so many folks are kept at arm's distance because they have not yet repented. And it's not because God wants to keep them at arm's distance. It's because they haven't allowed him the privilege of, of granting the, the grace that restores them perfectly because they keep going back out and doing the same thing again and again and again and again and again. God wants us to receive forgiveness that empowers us then to never do it again. And that forgiveness stems, that kind of forgiveness stems from the idea of what repentance is, a change of life. Now, None of us are ever going to be perfect. I'm striving for it. I'm working real hard at it. I don't think any of us should just say, have a fate of complete attitude and say, since we can't be perfect, let's not try. Every day ought to be a little bit better than the last. I'm better today than I was yesterday, and by God's grace, I'll be better tomorrow than I am today. We ought to strive to please Him every day with all of our heart and be more than we were yesterday. But perfection is probably out of the question. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. And so repentance puts us in the atmosphere and gives us the privilege of, of not just not, not being perfect, but being consistent, growing in our relationship to him and with him so that we can honor him in all we say and all we do. And then lastly, we need to receive him as Lord not just a savior. I know this, this topic is about salvation, but, but Jesus' Jesus's ability to save us directly stems from his being Lord. And I'm not just talking about giving him a title in our life that says you are Lord, but I'm talking about giving him the position in our life that says he is Lord. Ruler, master, controller, owner, the one to whom we owe all of our allegiance. We need to obey him every day. He is our king. This is not a democracy. We haven't elected him to the throne. This is a monarchy. And I realize in our democratic system, our egalitarian society, we don't get monarchies very well. We don't understand them. But in the kingdom, there is a king and we are his subjects. He requires that we obey. 
he requires that we treat him as king, as Lord of our lives. And obedience is not an option. It's not something we can take or leave as we wish. We are called to obey him and obey him in every part of our lives. Romans 10 verse 9 and 10 says, if we receive him as Lord, we get the privilege of being saved. It doesn't say if we receive him as Savior, we get the privilege of being saved. It says if we receive him as Lord. And his lordship implies that we are going to obey him every moment of the day. Hebrews 5 verse 9 says, And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. Obedience is key. Now, it doesn't mean that, 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 that our obedience earns us our salvation. It doesn't mean that. What it does mean is that those who have received salvation should obey him. And obedience is one of the fruits that, 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 that evidence the fact that somebody is saved. And if somebody is, 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 is supposed to be receiving what it means to be a Christian, if they are walking with God, then they ought to obey him. They ought to love him and treat him as Lord of their lives. So to recap, we desperately need to understand what our need is so that we need a Savior. Secondly, we need to repent. Thirdly, we need to request forgiveness. Fourth, we need to understand that Jesus is Lord and that he must be obeyed every day of our lives. Do that and you'll receive salvation. This has been your 15.